stick. Uh, preparing for the glory, number three. And uh, I believe you're going to get blessed tonight. Amen. Turn to Joel chapter 2. And hallelujah, what we did in seeking the Lord tonight had a lot to do with what uh, we're going to be talking about tonight. Thank you, Jesus. We need times like that, and as well as other things. And if you'll turn to Joel chapter 2 for a few minutes, we're going to read quite a few scriptures, but that's not going to, that's just for the beginning part of this message. And so, uh, <clears throat> but then we'll be moving on to some other things. And if you'll look in verse 15 of Joel chapter 2. Hallelujah. Verse 15, now Joel is a, one of the minor prophets, and so this is a prophetic book, okay? He's prophesied, this is prophetic, and some of the things that he prophesied had to do with Israel, and some of them had to do with uh, the time right after that, but some of them, but Joel prophesied about things concerning the end days. Hallelujah. And so verse 15, uh, and we're going to skip around a little bit, but I'll let you know where we're going. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, uh, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Uh, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? That's one thing we don't want to be said today. Where is their God? You know, uh, turn to uh, verse 19. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil. And we know these things can speak of spiritual things, not literal corn and wine and oil, although uh, because oil is often significant of the Holy Spirit, right? And you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain the former rain and the latter rain in the first month are all in one month. He's going to cause the former and the latter rain together. So this is a prophetic scripture. And the floor shall be full of wheat. Wheat often speaks of people. So it talks about harvest here, right? And the floor shall be full of wheat and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. Hallelujah. There's the Holy Ghost. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And we know that uh, many of the truths of, of the Word of God and the truths of the things of the Spirit had been stolen or eaten by the canker worm and the palmer worm, that there are many in our day who don't know the truths of the Word of God. Hallelujah. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men uh, shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever shall whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And so he uh, even goes so far as to prophesy into the very end of days when uh, we know that the, at the very end of days, at, at, like towards the battle of Armageddon, towards the end of the tribulation, the, that the moon will be turned into fire and that uh, into blood and that the, there will be darkness. The, you know, in the middle of the day there will be darkness and many signs like that towards the end of the tribulation in order to bring in harvest. It's all about harvest. Tribula this time we're in is all about harvest, but the tribulation period is all about harvest. Uh, getting people in that wouldn't listen in the church age. If you don't listen in the church age, you're going to listen in the tribulation. Amen? And then turn to Acts chapter 1. Now that was Joel prophesying. And if you go over to Acts chapter 1, 
Now, Jesus had uh, been resurrected uh, from the dead at this point, and he had walked uh, the earth for 40 days. He, uh, and then it says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them, this is Jesus that commanded them, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So Jesus' final instructions to the church were for them to wait and tarry in Jerusalem and for them not to go try, go out and try to do the work of God without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They weren't supposed to try to evangelize and do the works of God without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So that is very important. That's what Jesus said. Verse 13. Then so we know they did that, that they assembled in Jerusalem. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together are about 120. So we know 120 people uh, uh, assembled in the upper room. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So they waited there in the upper room in one accord until the day of Pentecost was fully come. And they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were uh, sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven now when this was noised abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language and they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, What meaneth this. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that. Say, This is that. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he, uh, so he uh, goes on there. Uh, I think I was supposed to start in verse 16, but well, hey, we got it all, didn't we? <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, uh, it's all good. So we see that, that uh, this is the former reign that Joel prophesied it, and then on the day of Pentecost, they were saying, what is this? And he said, and Peter said a very important statement. He said, this is that. He said, this is that which Joel prophesied. This is that. Hallelujah. They said they were, they were, uh, he, they, he, they said, these men are drunk on new wine. And he said, no, this, this way that they're acting, this thing that they're doing, this is that. Hallelujah. And so that's important that we remember that. So we had the, the former reign. We have the, the former reign here on the day of Pentecost. And then uh, we have uh, the latter reign. The latter reign, uh, Brother uh, uh, Parham from, uh, from Topeka, Kansas, told us, as prophesied, that Joel was the, he prophesied about and talked about Joel being the, uh, Joel prophesying and in the book of Acts was the former reign. And then he said in that, that the thing that happened in the night, turn of the century, right at, around the turn of the century, that was the latter reign. And so we, uh, we, 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 we understand that. God's brought it to make it clear. I'm going to read a little bit to you. Los Angeles was not the only place that 
and time of spiritual renewal, however. The Spirit of God was being poured out in other parts of the world simultaneously. Revival, revival was sweeping parts of Europe, especially in Wales. In the Wales. In the United States, the same transforming revivals were taking place in Minnesota, North Carolina, and Texas. Among the spiritual manifestations accompanying these outpourings included remarkable healings, complete transformations of lifestyle, deliverance from ungodly habits, physical demonstrations of emotion, and speaking in languages unknown to the speaker. Um, for centuries, there had been testimonies of some of these same manifestations among isolated groups. So, you know, it never completely died out from the day of Pentecost. But during the Dark Ages, uh, these things, the, the canker worm, the palmer worm, uh, ate up these truths from the main portion of the body of Christ. But there were always isolated groups throughout all these ages that have spoken in tongues. It says, such as the Huguenots in France and the Irvingites in England. In 1891, Daniel Alry spoke in other tongues in Delaware, Ohio, and his wife spoke in tongues in 1899 in Benai, Tennessee. Since the days of the early apostles, there are recordings throughout history of men and women speaking in languages unknown to them. And to those who met at Azusa Street, it was viewed as a sign of the restoration of of true New Testament Christianity. While great revivals were taking place around the world, perhaps the most noted outpouring prior to the Los Angeles revival occurred in January 1901 at the Bethel Bible School in Topeka, Kansas. After studying the Bible and spending time in prayer, several students experienced glossolalia, speaking of their tongues. Agnes Osmond is reported to have been the first to receive the experience, followed by several other students and the teacher, Charles Fox Parham. As a result, Parham soon coined the term that speaking in other tongues was the Bible evidence that one had been baptized with the Holy Ghost. Uh, so, <clears throat> praise God. Let me see if there was anything else. I Yes. Then on April 9th, hap happens to be exactly 100 years from today. Is that interesting? Then on April 9th, 1906, a breakthrough occurred as Edward Lee was baptized with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues after Seymour had prayed with him. The two then made their way to Asbury, to the Asbury home. There they had had a song, prayers, and testimonies followed by Seymour's sermon using Acts 2-4 as a text. Following the sermon, Lee raised his hands and began to speak in tongues. The Spirit of God moved upon those attending, and six others began to speak in tongues that same evening. Jenny Moore, who would later marry William Seymour, was among them. She became the first woman in Los Angeles to receive the Spirit baptism. She then began to sing in tongues and play the piano under the power of God, having never played the piano prior. A few days later, on April 12th, William Seymour finally received his baptism at about 4 o'clock in the morning after having prayed all night long. One eyewitness, Emma Cotton, later re reminisced about these experiences. They shouted three days and nights. The people came from everywhere. By the next morning, there was no way of getting nearer the house. As the people came in, they would fall under the power, and the whole city was stirred. They shouted there until the foundation of the house gave way, but no one was hurt. During those three days, there were many people who received their baptism who had just come to see what it was. The sick were healed, and sinners were saved just as they came in. The, uh, and, of course, then uh, it says... Uh, the, it, it outgrew this home. This home was on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. It says, The group then discovered an available building at 312 Azusa Street, which had originally been constructed as an African Methodist church, having fallen into disrepair. They all came together in worship, men, women, children, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, illiterate, and, and, and educated. Hallelujah. Uh, the newspapers reported on this said a disgraceful intermingling of the races. This is what the newspapers were saying. They cry and make howling noises all day and into the night. They run, jump, shake all over, shout to the top of their voice, spin around in circles, fall out on the sawdust blanket blanketed floor, jerking, kicking, and rolling all over it. Some of them pass out and do not move for hours as though they were dead. These people appear to be mad, mentally deranged, or under a spell. They claim to be filled with the Spirit. They have a one-eyed, illiterate Negro as their preacher who stays on his knees much of the time with his head hidden between the wooden milk crates. He doesn't talk very much, but at times he can be heard shouting, Repent, and he's supposed to be running the thing. They repeatedly sing the same song, The Comforter Has Come. So that was the newspaper's account of it, and all that did was fuel the fire and get more people coming. Negative press just caused more people to come. Um, 
the Apostolic Faith Mission, which is later what the Azusa Street Church was called, was the largest congregation in the city with as many as 1,300 attending the services and the spirit revival fervor continued for three years. Services were held three times daily, often without a break in the spontaneous services. Humility was fundamental at the missions and uh, the message was the love of God and unity and equality were priority. The color line was washed away by the blood. Women were provided positions of leadership at the mission as well. And we know that was a time when uh, when uh, there was uh, uh, segregation and the, and women were not highly esteemed either and so hallelujah there's nothing like the blood of Jesus is there hallelujah. amen uh, it says during tearing they used to tarry and during tearing and I guess you could say we did a little tearing while ago Hallelujah. During tearing, I think they tarried longer than we tarried. But during the tearing, we used to break out in songs about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Fill me now, joy unspeakable, and love lifted me. Praise about the cleansing and precious blood of Jesus would just spring from our mouths. In between choruses, heavenly music would fill the hall, and we would break into tears. Suddenly, the crowd seemed to forget how to sing in English. Out of their mouths would come new languages and have lovely harmony that no human beings could have learned. Um... <coughs> Thousands of individuals were led into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. People began to study the Word of God, becoming, com, become convicted of sin, and surrender their lives to Christ. Now this is right here. This describes what we are believing the purpose of end time revival is right here. It's not about rolling in the floor. That may be part of it, but that's not what it's about. Amen. This is what it's about. Thousands of individuals led into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you roll in the floor all you want to, but if you don't get a deeper relationship, you know, hallelujah. Uh, but when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you may do strange things. Because Peter had to say, these are not drunk, as ye suppose. So they had to have looked drunk. And what do drunk people do? Well... Everything. <laughs> Everything from cry. You know, some people get drunk and they cry in their beer. You ever heard about anybody crying in their beer? Well, some people cry. But have you ever heard anybody uh, laughing, getting loud, get loud and noisy? You ever heard him drunk stagger around? You ever heard anybody fall in the floor? You know? Praise God. Do all sorts of, of, of crazy things. Do things like get up and walk on chairs and ever hear of those kind of things? Some of you, some of you are looking at me like I hadn't only heard of it, I've seen it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Or I've not only heard of it, I've done that. Hallelujah. But sometimes they and you know that's another thing about drunks, they don't usually remember what they did, do they? And you know, there's one thing about being drunk, and this is one thing about the Holy Ghost coming upon you, you don't care. There's such a not caring what people think. And that's a, mm, the glorious thing about being baptized in the Holy Ghost is not caring what people think. Just getting set free, it's like, you know, hallelujah. So people began to study the Word of God, became convicted of sin, and surrendered their lives to Christ. They were baptized with the Holy Ghost, who led and guided them into greater spiritual truths found in the Word of God. The Spirit of God empowered them with boldness to fulfill the Great Commission. Signs and wonders followed those who believed, such as blinded eyes being opened, deaf being able to hear, mute being able to speak, the lame made to walk, and the dead raised to life again. Those early Spirit-filled believers considered everyone to be witnesses, and many sailed to foreign lands as missionaries to share the gospel message. Praise God. So that's what that's what outpouring is all about, is those things. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. But those things that, that happen in meetings uh, are preparing us for that, for that, preparing us to go out and to be bold. Hallelujah. Turn to James chapter 5. We looked at this last week, but we'll look again. James chapter 5, verse 7. Because we know James talks about uh, these this out these this latter and less this outpouring, James five seven, <clears throat> Hallelujah. And in chapter five verse one, he talks. James is not talking to Christians. He's talking to the rich, lost man, the rich sinner. 
is who he talks to for a few verses. And he says in verse 5, and he's still talking to rich sinners here. He said, Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Then verse 7, he changes and he starts talking to the brethren, to the saved. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. So we're to be patient, aren't we? He said, Behold, the husbandman, we know that's God the Father, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Well, he's been patient, hadn't he, for 2,000 years. Hallelujah. He's been long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And so he's talking to us as brethren here, and he tells he tells us to, to, to be patient until the coming of the Lord, and then he tells us how patient God is, and that what God's been waiting on. God's waiting on a harvest. God's waiting on the precious fruit of the earth. He's not satisfied with a few Christians in heaven. Uh, I was reading something to pastor on the way to church this morning, a Barner report, a George Barner report. Well, actually, I was, it was uh, something that Andrew Womack, it came out in Andrew Womack's newsletter, and he said, that one uh, um, one major evangelist in the United States, well-known major evangelist in the United States, says that, that less than 17% of the people in America that profess to be saved really are. That's really scary. And then, I wish I'd have brought that with me, but anyway, he, and he, he said, I don't know if that's right. He said, but I do know that a lot of people that say they're saved aren't. He said, you can tell that by their lifestyles. And he said, and also you can tell it by a survey that Barna took of 6,200 people. Barna took a survey and asked them, do you think that good works or doing right has any bearing on you going to heaven? This will shock you. 22% of Assembly of God said yes. Well, they hadn't figured out what, how you get saved if they believe that. 38% of Baptists, I'm like, dear Lord, they hear it every week. And they don't, 38% of Baptists said yes. 59% of Methodists said yes. And 82% of Roman Catholics, which we aren't really surprised, said that good works, doing the right thing, is what gets you to heaven. If those statistics are true, and if that has, then there's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, but they're not Christian because they don't even know how to get saved. And if they were to stand before God and say, and God was to say, "How? why should I let you into heaven? And they began to say, well, I treat people right, or I've done the right thing as far as we know that that's not the criteria. That we don't come to God based on anything we've done or haven't done. That we only come and say, well, I received Jesus as my Savior. I received your Son. I believed and I received your Son. And God says, well, enter in. God says, enter in. And so it's nothing about us, is it? Amen. Hallelujah. So, <clears throat> hallelujah. So he told us that God's waiting on the precious fruit of the earth. I don't think God's, uh, God's happy with the statistics. He's not happy with those kind of statistics. So the hurt, what, what do we need? Well, we need, a, we need a, the former and the latter rain. That's it. It's what he's waiting on is a, the precious fruit of the earth coming because we've had a former and latter rain outpouring. Oh, hallelujah, family. And so then in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, if you'll hold your hand there in James, because we'll probably be talking about it some more, if you go over to Zechariah, another prophet, uh, uh, and Zechariah is towards the end of the New Testament. That's as good as I can do for you. It's right for Malachi. How's that help? Zechariah 10, 1. Another prophet telling us, giving us instructions about the last days. And he said, in Zechariah 10.1, he said, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So when you know it's time for rain, what are you supposed to do? Ask for rain. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall give bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone, uh, grass in the field. And so we're supposed to ask for rain. So based on this Zechariah scripture and based on James there, the book of James, we... Um, 
know that there's some things we can do to prepare for harvest. Number one, Zechariah said to pray. So it's time for the latter and former and latter rain together. So we know when it's time for rain, you always pray. And as we read, as we will read some things tonight, these, this revival, if it had one mark about it, it was prayer. A lot of prayer was going forth from the people of God. Hallelujah. You know, family, we need a, and I need it too. We need, we need to care again. It's like we've grown numb to caring whether people go to hell. You can tell you're numb if you don't have any, if you're too busy to pray, if you don't have any heart to pray for rain and for harvest and for God to be poured out. And if you don't have a heart for prayer, you've gotten the, the things of this world have made you grow numb. You've been, uh, you've been, you've been come satisfied that you're going to heaven. And so the church has got to get back where we care again. And that's one thing the former, the, the rain of the Holy Ghost will do. And one, one thing the rain does is it washes the world off of us. Amen. It washes us. There's a washing in this, in this, in outpourings. Uh, there's a washing, uh, and, and it washes the world off of us, and it wash, it'll wash the numbness off of us where we've grown numb, even, uh, uh numb to, to hearing about revival, numb to, uh, hallelujah. Amen. And we need to care again. We all need to care. We need to look out our door and care that the people next door to us are going to go to hell. We need to care. Hallelujah. And then James told us another thing that we need to do to prepare for... for, uh, for and I think this even goes along with that is he said... One of the first things he said was be patient. One of the reasons we get to God caring is because we haven't been patient and we get weary and well-doing. Because we're just tired of waiting on this thing God promised and that the preachers, I, I've been in this since 1980 and they've been saying this, I know I've been hearing it 26 years about this, or, this, this outpouring. I know that Brother Hagen and Brother Copeland have been prophesying about it for that long. Way back, you can find prophecies way back where Brother Hagen, and you know, even Brother Parham prophesied about it at the turn of the century. And, and you know, and we know that there were prophecies. And not that, not to mean that God hasn't done anything in all these years, but yet what we've really, the things we've seen, we haven't, we haven't, we know they haven't been brought to complete fulfillment yet. That there's still those things that we're waiting for. And so we get impatient for it. And in our impatience, we grow weary and well doing and we get numb and we get numb. Not caring. Amen. Hallelujah. So we need to care again. And then he said that we need to keep ourselves pure. That's one of the things we have to do to prepare. It's so important. You know, we can't get other people ready if we're not ready. One thing for sure, family, you can't give other people what you don't have. Amen. If your life's a wreck, you can't help other people get their lives in order. Amen. So Jude 21, Jude verse 21, he said, keep yourselves in the love of God. We got to, we got to keep ourselves. And you know, it's work. It's work to keep ourselves pure. There's so much impurity out there. Every, it, it's not just even the TV shows. The advertisements are impure. Amen. Uh, there, there's just, we're bombarded with, with impurity. And we have to keep ourselves pure and we have to work at it. And one of the things that helps us to keep ourselves pure is the body of Christ, the church, and gathering together. When we gather together, it's a guard against impurity. It's a constant washing. It's three times a week taking a bath spiritually. And it's, it, it's the Holy Ghost confronting us with things. You know, you don't confront yourself very well. You get numb to it. You get, you get blinded to the things of your own self, but the Holy Ghost through the man and woman of God and through each other, uh, the Holy Ghost, even through the songs, confronts us, keeping us sharpened. And you know, the, the further away we get from that, the number we get. And the more we let our, uh, we let our guard down just a little bit until first thing we, we know, we're not keeping ourselves in the love of God. We're not keeping ourselves as pure as we used to. And so it's a constant washing. I need you and you need me. 
Amen. Hallelujah. We got to stay, you know, we got to stay connected. We got to stay tight. We got to stay together. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if nobody else in Tuscaloosa County ever follows. We've got to stick together. We have to be a remnant if, if, if it never, ha if the things that we've believed have never happened. If we're never 5,000, we'll be 5,000 in the millennium. If we're never, but if we're never 5,000, we got to stick together. We got to help each other make it. We got to stick together in this faith walk. Amen. So we have to be, we have to be that way. Number four, we have to, James said it in verse nine. He said, stay out of offenses. Actually, he said it this way. Grudge not one against another brethren. He's not talking about don't have a grudge against the world. He's talking about brethren. Don't get grudges against the brethren. Don't hold on to grudges against the brethren. Hallelujah. Then he said another thing to prepare for the, the, for the glory was to uh, be in one accord. We read a, a bunch of scriptures last week for, out of the book of Acts, so we're not going to do it again. But we've already read two or three tonight where it says they were one accord, in one accord, in one place. In other words, they were in unity. They were believing the same thing, speaking the same thing. we got to stay in one accord. The another thing that we do to prepare for revival is, you know, if we're going to have revival at Word of Life Church, we're going to have reign of the Holy Ghost. We're going to have to be responders to the Holy Ghost. We can't sit there like a knot on the log. That's right. You know, we got to be bold. Acts four thirty one says the place where they were shake they were was shaken, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So we've got to be bold. Pastor and I have to stretch to be bold to get out of our comfort zone. But you have to be bold too, because you, as we read tonight from the book I'm going to read from, you'll find that most things were not originating out of the pulpit in these this outpouring. And I spit too, Pastor, so I have to forgive you, don't I? <laughs> Hallelujah. But most things were not originating out of the pulpit; they were originating by the orchestration of the Holy Ghost and the pews were involved. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. The pew, the people were responding to the Holy Ghost and obeying God and, and doing what, what God uh, told them to do. And I believe, and we talked about this in the prayer room, that this last end time is not a revival about the Benny Hens of this world. We thank God for Benny Hen, but it's a gift, folks. It's all a, just a gift. God chose him and gave him a gift. It could have just as easily been you. It's not about many hen. It's not about how good a man he is. He's washed in the same blood you're washed in. It's not about how, you know, sometimes the, there's little old ladies in Buell that are praying as much as Benny Hinn does. It's not about how much he prayers, prays and how good a man he is. It's a gift. I know it's a gift. I was watching him on TV the other night and he had his hands on somebody and he had prayed for him and they had been healed and he said, that's unbelievable. And I thought, well, what in your faith was it? Because he said, hey, see, it wasn't his faith. It's a gift. He was like, I can't even believe this. Hallelujah. It's unbelievable. It's a gift. And this last end time revival is not about a gift. Although there will be gifts. But it's about, the, it's about the men and women of God who are washed in the blood of Jesus. It's about us doing, all of us doing the works of Jesus. It's about doing them in the highways and the hedges. I mean, Lawrence has told us today about casting a spirit out of somebody at the law school this week. Hallelujah. Well, you know, it, they don't all come to church. So it's about us going out. And being at the right place at the right time. And being bold. Amen. And so we have to be bold. And you know, boldness is not about, sometimes we think of boldness as being loud and noisy. We think about, you know, and this kind of gives us the creeps. I don't know if y'all remember, but several years ago, uh, there was some kid, I think he was in Tennessee or Kentucky, and he would be like on the street corner screaming at people. Do y'all remember that? It was all in the news. And he was screaming at people to repent. It was a little kid. And you know, it's like, you know, that's not God, that's a devil. Now, you know, if you feel sorry for the child, but it was just not, you know, it was not, it was not the love of God. And that's, so sometimes we stay back from boldness because we say, man, I don't want to just get loud and noisy and scream. And, you know, well, that's not what boldness is necessarily. I mean, sometimes boldness might be loud, but it's really about uh, uh, quick to act. Bold, when you're bold, you're quick to act. And you know, Mark Brzee used to say it this way. I guess he still does. He says, he used to say, it's throwing caution to the wind and just obeying God. Not being cautious, but obeying God. Now I'm going to read from the book. Hallelujah. This is called Azusa Street by Frank Bartleman. And he was there, so he ought to know. 
Amen. It says, uh, in the various crises that have occurred in the history of the church, men have come to the front who have manifested a holy recklessness that astonished their fellows. So a holy recklessness, that would be a boldness, wouldn't it? When Luther nailed his thesis to the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg, cautious men were astonished at his audacity. When John Wesley ignored all church restrictions and religious propriety and preached in the fields and byways, men declared his reputation was ruined. And so it has been in all ages when the religious condition of the times called for men who were willing to sacrifice all for Christ, the demand created the supply, and there have always been found a few who were willing to be regarded reckless for the Lord. An utter recklessness concerning men's opinions and other consequences is the only attitude that can meet the needs of the present times. He said, I like this part, or I agree with this part. When the religious condition of the times called for men who were willing to sacrifice. I believe if there's ever been a time when the religious condition of the world called for men to be bold and reckless with their faith, it's now. It is definitely now. And then another thing to prepare for revival is not to be overly concerned with missing it. You know, if you're always sitting in the pew wondering, being afraid you're going to miss it, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. If you're sitting in the pew afraid you're going to miss it. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. God chose to put the treasure of the Holy Ghost into an earthen vessel. That means you're made out of dirt, clay. That yes, it's, it's, it's not a perfect vessel. It's an earthen vessel. It's a perfect gift in an imperfect vessel. So, you know, there is going to be some missing it, but we're not to be overly concerned with that. God's work is brought about in human imperfection. John Wesley said this, he prayed this, O Lord, send us the old revival without the defects. But if this cannot be, send it with all its defects. We must have revival. So there will be defect in revival. And Clark, a man named Clark, I don't know his, last, his first name, he said, in great revivals it is almost impossible to prevent wildfire from getting in among the true fire. Hallelujah. And so we have uh, a desire in our hearts. And I know that we've got up two signs that says it's time for the glory. I believe if it's time for the glory that we need to talk about the glory. Amen. Amen. And so we're talking about the glory tonight. And so we, one of the things I've wanted to talk about for a couple of weeks is, is what does rain look like? You know, we're saying, okay, the former rain and the latter rain. So what does rain look like? We need to know what it looks like. And so we go to the Word of God, and in the book of Acts, we can see what former rain looked like. Because as Peter said, uh, this is that. In other words, this is rain, folks. They said, what does rain look like? This is that. And that's what he was telling them. And so what we, what, what we saw in the book of Acts was a mighty wind, a rushing mighty wind. Uh, uh, we see glory. We see a fire. The Bible says that, they, that there were cloven tongues as a fire. In other words, fire came down on them. This is not talking about speaking in tongues when it talks about cloven tongues as a fire coming on them. This is talking about a fire coming down on them, and it happened to look like a tongue of fire. Or in other words, it looked like a little. It looked like flames. Flames can look like tongues, and so uh, uh, it was a it was a flame of fire, glory of fire came down on them. They appeared to be drunk. We've already talked about that some. That was rain. That was rain. When you're overcome uh, by the things of God, uh, that's rain. That's rain. Rain's falling. You may not see it. You may not understand what's happening. There may be something, you know, somebody just made dance in the Spirit. That's rain. And rain is falling. And rain is falling in other places. Rain is falling in the workplace, too. Where we go, rain falls. Clouds of rain follow us where we go. Rain is falling with our children. Hallelujah. And they're letting it rain. Because sometimes they don't know enough to put their guard up. They don't know enough to guard. I know Caitlin doesn't know to guard and not do things. And so she's bold. She, Chris said the other day they were listening to Keith Moore's Healing in His Wings CD. And they stopped at Kmart. And on the way into Kmart, she was just belting out, It's so good to be healed. 
Hallelujah. And today we were sitting in La Grande Fiesta and you know, there wasn't very many people in there. And so we were talking. And so she went over to a little booth and she's kind of standing in that booth and she's singing something about holy that he, and lifting her hands. And singing about him being holy, God being holy. It was funny though, because as soon as she finished that song, she started singing the itsy bitsy spider. <laughs> so, you know, she's kind of like those, how when you set your CD player, you got six discs in there and you set it, you set it to random and it just kind of goes from one. And so you may have a spiritual song and then you may have a, you know, well, she's kind of was on random. You know, <laughs> hallelujah. Cause she went from holy to the itsy bitsy spider. Hallelujah. You know, what you put in them is going to come out. Hallelujah. And so um, that's what rain looked like. It also, you know, visions were a part of rain. Dreams were a part of rain. Hallelujah. And then what does latter rain look like? Because we know that in the 1900s, early 1900s, we, they begin to have the latter rain outpouring. Um, and some of the things that, as I've read, that I was, we talked about this already, was prayer. There was much prayer. I want to encourage you in prayer. I want to encourage you to get together with people for times of prayer. I know that's what's in my heart to do. I don't really know how to go about it exactly, but I know that that's in my heart is to pray. Hallelujah. And uh, the, of course, we know they were slain. There was, they were slain in the Spirit sometimes. And it was not a thing of, well, they came up and somebody laid hands on them. No, they'd be just in the church and people would start falling. Uh, trances. People fell into trances regularly. Hallelujah. Rolling. We know, and we know that from that rolling, when they would roll and the power of God, they would fall on the floor and maybe they would roll or whatever. We know that a term began to come forth and, and the people in those churches that did that were called holy rollers. And you've heard, I know my grandfather used to, he was Baptist, but, but I mean, later they got baptized in the Holy Ghost. But he always said about his mother, well, she was, she went to that holy roller church because she went to the assembly of God. And that was a, they, he said it was a holy roller church. You know, it's, it's interesting. The whole, the whole, the, the, the Pentecostal churches, assembly of God and church of God, and I don't know if that's all, Probably, I don't know about Foursquare, because that's a Pentecostal church. A lot of people don't know that Foursquare is Pentecostal, but it is. Um, but anyway, I don't think there's a Foursquare in Tuscaloosa. But anyway, uh, those churches were birthed out of this 1900s outpouring, Azusa Street outpouring, those denominations. But it uh, now, if you were to go to many Assembly of God churches, you couldn't tell them from Baptist. Because the power, the Spirit of God doesn't move there, and most of the people that go to their church aren't even baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, I said some assembly of God churches. That's how it is. I don't know about Church of God, so I won't say. And then uh, uh, shouting and praising, joy, laughter, weeping, repentance, conviction, preaching. Page 16. Oh, y'all didn't need to know that. Get to reading my notes here. I'm going to read to you from page 16 out of the Azusa Street book. A wonderful work of the Spirit has broken out here in Los Angeles, California, preceded by a deep preparatory work of prayer and expectation. So prayer and expectation. Conviction is rapidly spreading among the people. These meetings are beginning to run themselves. Listen, these meetings are beginning to run themselves. Souls are being saved all over the house while the meeting sweeps on unguided by human hands. The fear of God is coming upon the people, a very spirit of burning. Sunday night, the meeting ran on until the small hours of the next morning. Another thing, worship and quietness, divine presence, a loss of a sense of time. We need to know about the rain. And I'm reading this to you because you need to know about rain. What does rain look like? Page 20, the service of which I am writing began in an impromptu and spontaneous way some time before the pastor arrived. The service began before the pastor arrived. A handful of people had gathered early, which seemed to be sufficient for the Spirit's operation. The meeting started. Their expectation was from God. The people were there, and by the time the pastor arrived, the meeting was in full swing. Pastor Smale dropped into his place, but no one seemed to pay any special attention to him. Their minds were on God. No one seemed to get in another's way, although the congregation represented many religious bodies. All seemed to be in perfect harmony. The Spirit was leading. 
The meeting passed again from his, the pastor arose and read a portion of the scripture, made a few well-chosen remarks full of hope and inspiration for the occasion, and the meeting passed again from his hands. The people took it up and went on as before. Testimony, prayer, and praise were intermingled throughout the service. The meeting seemed to run itself as far as human guidance was concerned. Amen. Hallelujah. Another writer declared, it was not the eloquence of Evan Roberts, now Evan Roberts is in Wales, that broke men down, but his tears. He would break down crying bitterly for God to bend them in an agony of prayer, the tears coursing down his cheeks. I wonder what we would do if, if a minister just got in the pulpit and just cried. That's all he did was just cry and cry and cry. His whole frame writhing. Strong men would break down and cry like children. Women would shriek. A sound of weeping and wailing would fill the air. Evan Roberts, in the intensity of his agony, would fall in the pulpit while many in the crowd often fainted. And then in India, the girls in India were wonderfully wrought upon and baptized with the Spirit in Rambaya Mission under conviction of their need. Great light was given to them. When delivered, they jumped up and down for joy for hours without fatigue. In fact, they were stronger for it. They cried out with the burning that came into and upon them. I don't think we have a revelation that coming to church makes us stronger. I think so many times people say, oh, I'm too tired to go to church. And we don't have a revelation that the power of God, the Spirit of God, doesn't make us tired or it makes us fresher. And I think we're too scared for our children. I know we're too scared for our children. Oh, they can't be out late. They would be, they would be uh, gripey tomorrow or they would be tired tomorrow at school. Folks, that's just fear. That's not faith. And because you fear it, that may be what happens. But you can just as easily get in faith. That the Spirit of God and the being in God's presence is a refreshing to us, not a hurt to us. Now true, you may could take them to a ball game and stay till 9 o'clock. They might be exhausted at school the next day. But when you bring them to church, even if the service were to go to 10 or 11 o'clock, you would find, if you were in faith, that it would make little difference in their lives. In fact, you would find that, that, that they would be refreshed. Even in the charismatic movement in the, the early 80s, we came in the tail end of the charismatic movement. We did gave little thought to the... We never thought about that. The children would be up under the seats sleeping. If they got tired, they crawled up under the seat and went to sleep. And we picked them up. And for years, for years, Pastor and I had the conviction of God to get up every morning and go to the church and pray from 6 to 7 o'clock. Every morning. And for years, Michael picked the kids up. Now, Colin was old enough. He walked. But he would pick up Eric and Colin. We would just kind of gra grab him and he would just uh, throw it just in his pajamas and throw him in the car, ride down the church. They'd come in. They'd lay down in the floor of the church on a blanket, sleep for an hour or lay there. I don't know. And mom and dad pray and then we picked them up took them to the house fed them breakfast and sent them to school but I'm telling you I'm not, I say this in love but most of you don't even have faith for something like you couldn't do it if God asked you because you'd be afraid that it would hurt your kid but I'm telling you being in the presence of the Lord not hurt your you know our kids you know there's might be something to do with it but our kids have always stayed with God Quit being afraid. Get your kids under the anointing as many times as you can get them under the anointing every week. And trust God. Amen. I say that in love, like I said before. So the girls, in it, under conviction of the great light was given to them. When okay. With, they jumped up and down for joy for hours without fatigue. In fact, they were stronger for it. They cried out with the burning that came into and upon them. Some fell as they saw a great light pass before them. You know, we might be more excited about these things if we used to worship a cow like they did in India. And if we were, it, 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 man, you know, when you've been there, you know what death is like. And you know when you've passed from death unto life. Amen. Okay, and, and it says, um, Some fell as they saw a great life pass before them while the fire of God burned the members of the body of sin. Pride, anger, love of the world, selfishness, uncleanness, and so on. They neither ate nor slept until the victory was won. 
Then the joy was so great that for two or three days after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they did not care for food. About 20 girls went into a trance at one time and became unconscious of this world for hours, some for three or four days. During that time, they sang, prayed, clapped their hands, rolled about, or sat still. When they became conscious, they told of seeing, listen to this, a throne in heaven, a white-robed throng, and a glory so bright they could not bear it. Soon the whole place was aflame. School had to be suspended. They forgot to eat or sleep, and whole nights and days were absorbed in prayer. The Spirit was poured out upon one of the seeking girls in the night. Her companion sleeping next to her awoke, and seeing fire envelop her, ran across the dormitory and brought a pail of water to dash upon her. In less than an hour, nearly all the girls in the compound were weeping, praying, and confessing their sins. Many of these girls were invested with a strange, beautiful, and supernatural fire. The spontaneous composition of hymns was a curious feature of some of the meetings in other parts of India. At Kara Camp, listen to this, pictures appeared on the walls to a company of small girls in prayer, supernaturally depicting the life of Christ. It's kind of like a supernatural videotape. I, 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 you know, this is funny because I've always believed for years that we were going to go to heaven and we was going to get to watch it all. You know, the walls of Jericho fall. We was going to get to watch God create an Adam in the garden. I believe it's all preserved supernaturally. And we're going to, it's going to be like we're going to get to watch movies of all the revivals down through the ages and all the things that God has done through the ages. That'll be part of what we spend our time doing. Amen. In prayer, supernaturally depicting the life of Christ, the figures moved in the pictures and were in color. Each view would last from ten, 2 to 10 minutes, and then the light would gradually fade away to reappear in a few moments with a new scene. These appeared for 12 hours and were seen not only by the native children of the orphanage and eight missionaries, but also by native Christians living nearby. Even heathens came to see the wonderful sight. These pictures were all faithfully depicting the Bible narration and were entirely supernatural. They had a tremendous effect in breaking up the hard hearts of the heathen. In, heathen. in Wales, colored lights were often seen like balls of fire during the revival there. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but this stirs something in me. Frank Bartleman said this, and this is, this, is, this is true. I believe this with all my heart. A year of life at this time with its wonderful possibilities for God is worth a hundred years of ordinary life. Family, that's why we can be, we, we'll be so satisfied. You know, I know people that say, oh, I don't want Jesus to come back. I want to live out my whole life. I want to get to do what I was going to... But you know, I believe God's going to so satisfy the church in these last days. Starting right now in 2006, God's going to so satisfy the church that we won't leave here. Even the teenagers won't leave here going, Oh, I wish I could have lived my whole life. I wish Jesus wouldn't come. No, I think that it'll be better than 100 years, better than 50 years, what God does in these last days. Amen. And another thing he said, Pentecost is knocking at our doors. The revival for our country is no longer a question. The tide has been rising. In the very near future, a deluge will sweep all before it. I believe that. Another thing that was very noteworthy is that about Azusa Street, and also about uh, uh, Pentecost was small beginnings, small, humble beginnings. Remember, at G G the, the, Jesus born in a stable, that's humble, small beginnings. Pentecost, 125, only 125 people in the upper room, small Humble beginning. Listen, 125 people only came to the upper room and they had walked with Jesus. Sometimes we wonder why we're not able to do more. But Jesus could only get a hundred. Jesus, did y'all hear me say? Jesus could only get 125 people to come to the upper room. Small, humble beginnings. Amen? That's what he started with. It, the church started with 125 people. Um, Azusa Street so was, a, was an old church building, but that had been abandoned, fallen down, and was the last thing it had been used for was a stable. I thought that was interesting. Jesus born in a stable, Azusa Street, birth in a stable, the Azusa Street outpouring. Uh, I think it's not unlike this church. 
I've been thinking about this church. And, the, the, you know, when we bought this building, some of the people that had been here a while told us about some of the history of this church and how uh, this building, how... Um, uh, I don't know exactly how they came to get the land, but they got this land here and it wouldn't perk. And so they couldn't put anything on it because you know it's got to perk, whatever perk means, but I've heard that before, but it had to perk. And so they fasted for 40 days, the people, and it finally perked. And so a man had ordered out a building to be his shop or his barn. It was supposed to be a barn or a shop or whatever you want to call it. And he said it's too big. And he sold it to the church. And if this is the shape it was. And so they had to figure out. And so that's how come we get a pulpit in the corner? Because this is how it was. Amen? You might have thought, why'd they do it that way? Well, they did it this way because they were trying to make a church out of a barn. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So humble, small beginnings. God likes to work with humble, small beginnings. Amen. Um, let me read it from page 46. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> from a small beginning, a very little flame was kindled. It was soon noised abroad that God was working at Azusa Street. And all kinds of people began to come to the meetings. Many were curious and unbelieving, but others were hungry for God. The newspapers began to ridicule and abuse the meetings, thus giving us much free advertising. This brought the crowds. The devil overdid himself again. Outside persecution never hurt the work. Outside persecution never hurt the work. Don't worry about outside persecution. Uh, we had the most to fear from the, from the working of evil spirits within. The most thing we have to fear is from is strife within, or or some, or even they had spiritualists and hypnotists came to investigate and to try their influence, and then all the religious soreheads, crooks and cranks came seeking a place in the work. All the religious soreheads, I thought that was cute. Crooks and cranks came seeking a place in the work. It wouldn't be cute if you were there, but it's cute the way he said it. Heavenly singing is another mark. New songs in the Spirit, which corresponds to Psalm 40, verse 3, that says they sang a new song. Listen to this. At first, no musical instruments. We felt no need for them. We felt no need for them. There was no place for them in our worship. All was spontaneous. Hallelujah. We, don't, we just need the Holy Ghost, folks. We really don't have to have anything else. Amen. But we do need the Holy Spirit. And we could have a cathedral. And if the Holy Spirit wasn't there, we wouldn't have nothing. Amen. We sang from a fresh, powerful heart experience. Listen to this. No platform or pulpit. The ministers were servants. The leader, Brother Seymour, sat behind two empty boxes, one on top of the other, and he usually kept his head inside the box, the top box, during the meeting in prayer. I think we need a box up here. Hallelujah. The services ran almost continuously. People came to meet God. He was always there. A continuous meeting, not depending on a human leader. Didn't matter if the preacher was there or not. The meetings just ran themselves. The Holy Ghost, they came to see God. This would be a great church for God to do that in. It, it just, hallelujah. God broke strong men and women to pieces and put them together again for His glory. It was a tremendous overhauling process. Pride and self-assertion, self-importance and self-esteem could not survive there. Listen to this. Pride and self-assertion and self-importance and self-esteem could not survive there. No subjects or sermons were announced ahead of time. No special speakers advertised. No one knew what might be coming, what God would do. All was spontaneous, ordered by the Spirit. You know, I, you wonder, and I, I think our church has somewhat outgrown this, but I've been in churches before where, well, pastor's going to be gone on vacation. We're not going. It's like, do we believe in a Holy Ghost? Hello? I, I, you know, that is, that, that is not, that is scary because that's idolatry. 
You may say, well, I don't idolize the preacher. Well, if you wouldn't come because you thought the Holy Ghost was incapable, or even this is idolatry. If we Now, this is how we thought as Baptists. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of like we were checking in with the pastor, and so we'll go because pastor's there, and, you know, it's like he was keeping some sort of heavenly role, and it's like, but we don't think God would care if we were not there, so we'll stay home. I mean, I'm admitting that's how we thought as Baptists. It was kind of like we were trying to please the pastor versus trying to please God, which would just be another way of saying idolatry. We heard from God through whomever he might speak. No respect of persons, rich, educated, poor, and ignorant. All color was washed away in the blood of Jesus. Messages came through a child, a woman, or a man. 1 Corinthians 1.29 says that no flesh might glory in His presence. When we first reached the meeting, we avoided human contact and greeting as much as possible. That might shock us. I'll read from page 57. This is just kind of getting us used to rain. What rain, what, this is what latter rain looked like. Now, what will former and latter rain look like? Well, it'll look like all of this stuff mixed together and multiplied. Because any time God puts two things together, it's always multiplied. One can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand. There's always this multiplication. So whatever they had, we'll have it in multiplication. Amen. Amen. Uh, Amen. Hallelujah. We were delivered right there from ecclesiastical hierarchism and abuse. We wanted God. When we first reached the meeting, we avoided human contact and greeting as much as possible. We wanted to meet God first. We got our heads under a bench in the corner in prayer and met men only in the spirit, knowing them after the flesh no more. The meetings started themselves spontaneously in testimony, praise, and worship. I think sometimes, and I say this in love, me as much as anybody, but sometimes I think we take a bath in carnality right before the service. And I'm not talking about at home, but I'm talking about when we get to the church, we get over into things of the flesh, visiting. There's a great... I love fellowship, don't get me wrong. Hallelujah. But I'd like to see the day when we all came in and and we... We, we came to prayer, that we were more wanting to go to prayer than we were to visit with everybody. That would be wonderful. Page 58, and I'm closing with this. Someone might be speaking. Suddenly the Spirit would fall upon the congregation. I like this. God Himself would give the altar call. Men would fall all over the house like the slain in battle or rush for the altar in mass to seek God. The scene often resembled a forest of fallen trees. Such a scene cannot be intimidated. It imitated, excuse me, such a scene cannot be imitated. I never saw an altar call given in those early days. God himself would call them. I think that would be so God getting the glory and not men getting the glory. Because I think a lot of times in our day, we're really caught up into how many came to the altar, uh, how many, and, we, and, and, and men tend to be tempted to take the glory for that. And the preacher knew when to quit. Well, that, that's Holy Ghost too. Amen. I'm believing that we know. When God spoke, we all obeyed. It seemed a fearful thing to hinder or grieve the Spirit. The whole place was steeped in prayer. God was in His holy temple. It was for man to keep silent. The Shekinah glory rested there. In fact, some claim to have seen the glory by night over the building. I do not doubt it. I have stopped more than once within two blocks of the place and prayed for strength before I had ever go on. The presence of the Lord was so real. Amen. Hallelujah. I won't be a spiritual church, don't you? I, I just, I just, I think... We have to come to a place where we care again. Because when we care, then we'll care. When we care about people, we'll care that the services, we'll care what happens in the service more than we'll care about anything else that has to, any of the natural parts of the service. And then, and so therefore, if, you know, if we don't have a piano player, we won't care. 
We, you know, if every, and you know, not, it's very fleshly to, it's very fleshly. And you know, I'm guilty too of like, well, it felt so different because there wasn't music or, you know, there was only guitar or, or the sound wasn't loud enough or, or, you know, that's so flesh. They didn't even have a sound system. <laughs> Folks, they didn't have a sound system. Jesus didn't have a sound system. And sometimes we just are, we just got, oh, I just want, don't you want to break free, free of the flesh? And I just, some, I, sometimes I get frustrated in a service because I, when I can tell that, that we, myself including, are letting it affect us. We're letting things affect us. Hallelujah. Because we're, why? Because we're so in tune to our flesh instead of just Holy Ghost. You know, did y'all ever think the Holy Ghost might just say, don't want to use that this morning? Want to get out of my box? Don't want, you know, you could have, I don't want to use the, don't want to use that music this morning. He could say that, but I don't know if we'd let him. Hallelujah. But I want to be there where I could let him. And I'm trying. Are you trying? I'm trying to not be so flesh driven. Not let it bother me. Not let it bother me. You know, this is flesh. I admit it. There's not very many here when we start sometimes. And it's like, if I let that bother me, that's my flesh. That's not the Spirit of God saying, now Debbie, get upset and get real frustrated because everybody's late and everybody's running behind or they're all gone for spring break. That's not the Holy Ghost. That's not Holy Ghost talking to me. That's my flesh. My flesh says, that's not how I want it. Amen. But sometimes, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not praying for this, believe me. But I know this. Sometimes God can do more with just us here than He could do. It, I know that because He probably couldn't have preached this message tonight in some town, in some churches. They just wouldn't have been ready for this kind of message. And so sometimes He can take fewer and do more. But my flesh still says, yeah, but but my flesh would also be frustrated. If I was in the more and I was like, I can't say what I need to say here, they're not, you know, I'd be frustrated there too. You know, so the the point is to grow up and not be driven by our flesh. Amen. The point is not to ask ourselves, do I want to go to prayer, but to go and pray. Why? Because we care. I care. I care about the people that are going to come. I care that, you know, we get to thinking that no matter what I do, they're going to get their needs met on Sunday morning. We get to thinking, well, pastor will take care of it. Pastor's prayed all week. He took care of that. But that's not how God works. He, he never, he never, he doesn't work that way. And so we need to care. And you know, we need to care what happens in children's church. Because little lives are hanging in the balance. And even in the nursery, we need to care. Sometimes we think, oh, they're just babies. I can do anything I want to back here. And so things that are not edifying to little ears sometimes are talked about back there. People talk about their problems, their divorce, their... And, and you know, because they're upset. They t and, and, you know, in church they'd have to be quiet, but they're back there. And somebody there's an ear back there, another nursery minister. And so they put those things in the atmosphere of the nursery. And I'm thinking, no, Ed, those children don't need to even... That doesn't even need to be... The, our, the, that, that's fertile ground. And words are seed. Negative words are seed. And positive words are seed. And sometimes the nursery... Pastor says it's the most... Temptation in all the church to get in strife is the nursery. Nobody knows what you're talking about, but little seed, little seed planted in little, hallelujah. And the Bible tells us to do all things unto edifying. Oh, I tell you, Bible says for you to make a little one to stumble. If for you to put a seed in somebody's little heart that's not good, you'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and for you to be thrown into the warrior river. Hallelujah. But that happens. And I'm not on that tonight, but I'm just saying, hallelujah, let's care. Let's care. Let's care. Let's care enough to pray. Let's care. I'm telling myself, Debbie, care enough to pray. Care enough to pray at home. 
Hallelujah. Care enough to pray together. Let's initiate some prayer together. I believe if we'll do that, that God will see that we have the fellowship that we need. Amen? Because we do need fellowship. Good, godly, Christian fellowship. Hallelujah. Let's stand up together. We've sought Him already tonight. And I purposely had us seek Him at the first of the service because when the service is over, we tend to be saying, let's go home. You know, our flesh once again. Hallelujah. And all of us, uh, hey, praise God. I'm not pointing a finger tonight. I'm not pointing a finger tonight. Hallelujah. But I believe if the Holy Ghost said anything tonight, I believe what He wanted to drop down in you is to care. You know, we choose to care. Sometimes we think, well, this is all up to God. 